Hey bubs, welcome back to a brand new episode of Talkin' Snicked. Or maybe I should say, hey runts, welcome back to a brand new episode of Talkin' Tooth. The okayest podcast there is at what it does, and what it does okayest is fanboy all about, Sabretooth. That's right bubs, this is the first episode in July, so as we kick off a brand new month, we are also kicking off a brand new theme, and that theme, as you guessed it, is Sabretooth. So bubs, before we dive into any comic books, I do want to give some background on my personal history with the character of Sabretooth and who in fact Sabretooth is. I don't want to start the podcast presupposing that every Wolverine fan listening has heard of Sabretooth. Although, if you're a Wolverine fan and you haven't heard of Sabretooth, I don't know what you've been doing with your time, but you have missed an awful lot of Wolverine's history. Sabretooth is the complete antithesis of everything that Wolverine stands for, while at the same time being exactly what Wolverine could be. If you look at what Wolverine does, who Wolverine is, his ultimate version would be Sabretooth. Sabretooth is the ultimate killer. He is the ultimate healer. He is the ultimate animal in a man's body. And those are the things that Wolverine is terrified of becoming, and rightfully so. Sabretooth is a perversion, in a way, of everything that Wolverine stands for, and I'm really looking forward to jumping into the character and exploring some of his darker stories, as well as some of the more lighthearted stories that feature Sabretooth, if you can call any Sabretooth story lighthearted. My very first experience with this character was the 1991 Impel X-Men trading card line. This is the trading card series that was strictly X-Men. It was the one where each and every card was drawn by Jim Lee, and like I said, it came out in 1991. So this trading card line predated the X-Men, the animated series cartoon, and it predated me really loving X-Men. I've talked at length about the fact that X-Men, the animated series, was really my doorway into this universe. It's kind of what led me to starting to collect the toys, collect the comics, and managed to make me love this series all the way into my adulthood. But I have memories going back possibly even before my time watching the cartoon. I was seven when the animated series debuted at the end of 1992, so I would have been six when these cards first came out. And my favorite card as a kid was Sabretooth. He's just this giant hulking behemoth with blonde hair and this just orange and brown suit that was so simple and so brutal. He had this white fur lining his big, gigantic, broad shoulders. And like I said, he's just in the snow, and he just looks vicious. And I remember reading the back of the card, I don't know how many times, but I'm going to go ahead and read that to you now. I've actually managed to track down and collect the entire base set of the uh, 91 series here of Impel cards, and it's one of my cherished pieces in my X-Men collection, so let me share this with you. Sabretooth is just one of the several man-made killers created by the Weapon X Project. Once an ally of Wolverine, he is now one of the most vicious of the X-Men's foes. He has an incredible healing factor that makes him immune to most drugs and poisons, 
and he has greater endurance than most human beings. With his fearsome claws, sharp teeth, and innate savagery, Sabretooth has a bloodlust that is rivaled only by his hate for Wolverine. Extra fact, Victor Creed uses his deadly abilities as a professional assassin. So, lots of fun words there for a six-year-old. Definitely piqued my interest. The Even on the back of the card, there's another little shot of him. And he's just, you know, this guy wearing a cowboy hat. He's just this big, brooding character. According to the card, he's six feet tall, six inches. And he weighs over 275 pounds. So, what I knew about Wolverine at this point in time, before I ever saw the animated series before I ever started reading the comics was that Wolverine was a short guy and he had some claws and he was pretty vicious, but there was someone out there that was bigger and stronger and who hated Wolverine. And that was Sabretooth. Now, just because the cartoon came out in 1992 doesn't mean that I immediately started going to the comic book shop weekly to buy the new copies of X-Men and Uncanny X-Men and X-Factor and all the other series that were coming out, X-Force at the time, I I wasn't there yet. I was still seven years old. So I would get to the comic book shop every now and then. My dad would take my sisters and I sporadically, you know, if we really begged him. Usually it was when the uh, 7-Eleven down the street was out of cards <laughs> and we wanted to get more packs of cards. We knew that the closest comic book shop was just over the way in a town called Milpitas in the Bay Area in California. And there was this really great little comic shop there called Pendragon Comics. I'm not sure if it's still there. I haven't lived in California for 25 years now, so I have no idea if it's still there. But if it is, and you live in that area, go check it out. I remember it being a great shop. Who knows if that's correct. But we would go there every now and then to get more cards, and I would glance through the various comics that were there, and occasionally I'd pick out an X-Men comic to take home. Then I had a few comics from that era. I had X-Men number three, that's the one where on the cover the X-Men are like fighting against each other. You got Psylocke holding Jean, you know, down by her hair and she's got her psychic knife out. You got Colossus and he's holding Wolverine up in the air ready to punch him. You got Gambit fighting Archangel. I also had, you know, Uncanny X-Men 290 where it's just Storm and she's in the rain and it's like right after, or maybe it's the issue where she finally breaks up with Forge. I had X-Men 13, I had X-Men 26 and everything. But one of my most prized comics, at least in the from the mid-90s until I really started collecting back issues and such, was X-Men number 28. It came out January of 1994, so I was still living in California at the time, still a little kid. And by this point, I knew who Sabretooth was. He had made appearances in the first season already of X-Men, the animated series. We already knew that he had this dark past and everything. And so this issue actually worked pretty well because in this issue, Sabretooth is being rehabilitated by Professor Xavier. And so he's living in the X-Mansion. So, I mean, this this really struck a chord with me. It was a lot like what was going on in the cartoon. And so I, I loved this issue. I don't know how many times I read it. I knew I wore it out. Uh, eventually got to the point where the cover had fallen off and I've replaced the issue since. Uh, but I, I mean, I read it several times. It's just one where Jean and Sabretooth kind of go toe to toe, although, well, not really. It seems like it, but we learned at the end of the issue that Jean was pretty much just toying with Victor at that point, just to kind of prove a point that 
the X-Men aren't to be trifled with. And he might be this vicious killer, but, you know, Gene is, like, the best. So, uh, great issue on the cover. It's an Andy Kubert, because, you know, adjectiveless X-Men in the early 90s, after Jim Lee left. So, it's got Sabretooth, and he's got this, just this snarl, and he's huge, you know? Like, Jean Grey's on the cover of this, but Sabretooth is massive, you know? His hand is as big as her entire chest, and his face is as big as her whole head and everything, and he's looking down at her, you know, like he's going to hit her, and she's just kind of dodging him, looking up at him with this surprise. So, I mean, just the way I've always looked at Sabretooth is he's just this vicious killer, and there's no one in the Marvel Universe like him, not even Wolverine. You know, Wolverine has morals. He has a code that he lives by. He has ideals that he strives for. He might not always be able to reach those, but he strives for them. Sabretooth doesn't. Sabretooth has no qualms about any of the morally gray or even, you know, amoral things that he does. He's just, he's a force of nature. So now that I've kind of let you all know where my admiration for Sabretooth comes from, I think we can dive into a couple issues. I'm actually going to take you guys through four different issues today, or at least parts of four different issues. Uh, first off, we are going to cover Sabretooth's first appearance, which came in August of 1977 in the pages of Iron Fist number 14. That's right. When Sabretooth first appeared, he wasn't even an X-Men villain or even a Sabretooth, or excuse me, even a Wolverine villain. He was created as an Iron Fist villain. Now, at that time, Chris Claremont and John Byrne were working on Iron Fist together. And so they were able to co-create the character of Sabretooth, like I said, as a villain for Iron Fist. So let's jump in. We're going to jump in in media res to this Iron Fist issue and just kind of get a feel for who Sabretooth was. So up to this point in the issue, Iron Fist had been in the mountains. He had been there with Colleen Wing. They were going on this mission and he fights this like dark ninja thing that's kind of like Dark Link in a way where it's just this opposite of him and he just happens to be like wearing black or like the Dark Archer from Green Arrow, just, you know, whatever, just this this weird opposite, you know, the shadow of a, of a character. And eventually, because of that fight, I believe Iron Fist gets separated from Colleen Wing. And at this point in the comics, Colleen Wing was not quite the martial artist that she is nowadays. Uh, she was still, I believe, a fledgling martial artist, if that. This was still very early in Iron Fist's career as a crime fighter, and I don't think that her character had been fleshed out quite yet. But I do know that she was working for Jaron Hogarth, the lawyer who also worked for Iron Fist, or at least worked for Danny Rand. So it's Sabretooth's job. He's hired to kidnap a couple of these women who work for Jaron Hogarth. And that's how we're introduced to him. He is this, you know, pit boss of a guy. He's like a, a supervillain foreman, really. He's kind of leading this team of kidnappers and assassins, and he kidnaps these women. Now, the cool thing is the first time we see him, he does have his signature orange and brown suit with the little tufts of fur around his shoulders and then also like on his elbows and knees and he's also got like the brown you know clawed gloves and everything so 
when he first appears, he he very much looks the way he does now. He's a little bit thinner back then, not quite as tall, not quite as beefy as he will become later on. But for all intents and purposes, he's still very much the saber tooth that we know and love nowadays. The only difference is at the time, he's mostly portrayed as like a human, a psychopath, a serial killer, an assassin, whatever you want to mention. You know, if it's some sort of organized crime, he's there. He's part of it. And he has a reputation for being the best there is at what he does, funnily enough. So that's how it starts. That is his first appearance. There's not necessarily any lines or anything that need to be shared with you all, other than the fact that Bub seems to be his signature phrase. You know, he calls Iron Fist Bub more than once in this issue, and he calls some other guy Bub once or twice. Uh, So it looks like some of the mannerisms that started with Sabretooth and ultimately moved to Wolverine were also created right here in the pages of Iron Fist 14. The one thing that I do like that he says is, Bub, I'm in the mood for a good fight. Been a long time since I tangled with anyone worth the effort. So we're beginning to see already his personality. I mean, that's not something that changes with Sabretooth over time. That's something that stays pretty consistent. He just, he likes to fight. He just likes to play around and fight to the death. Uh, Maybe not the best of hobbies or the healthiest of hobbies, but, you know, hey, it works for a psychopath supervillain. So that is Sabretooth's first appearance. Not necessarily his origin, but Sabretooth's first appearance. I definitely recommend checking it out if you're a fan of the character and you haven't given it a look. I know for a fact that it is on Marvel Unlimited, and I believe it's been collected a few places here and there, so track it down if you can. Uh, It's like an 18-page issue, and he doesn't even show up until maybe the last seven or eight pages, so you can just skip to that and just check him out. Uh, You know, character who appears and very much stays the same over time. You know, obviously layers of depth are added to the character as time has gone on, but, you know, mostly unchanged from his first appearance, and that's something I actually admire with this character because they've created such an iconic savage with this character that, you know, they really haven't had to reinvent the wheel with him. So that takes us into the next issue I wanted to cover, which is X-Men Origins Sabretooth from 2009. And no, this has nothing to do with the movie X-Men Origins Wolverine from 2009, although I'm sure that there were Sabretooth tie-in comics and stuff for that, but I'm not going to cover those here, uh, not on this episode, and probably not this month. So X-Men Origins was a series of one-shots that Marvel started putting out in, I want to say 2008, maybe 2007, and it went from, you know, 2007 or 8 up until, you know, 2010, maybe the end of 2009, and they did maybe about 10 issues, or at least that's how many are on uh, Marvel Unlimited, Uh, but they were just these little one-shot issues that kind of gave some extra backstory to a lot of the characters or reestablished or retconned some of the origins to these various characters, and the Sabretooth issue was one of my favorites. It was written by Kieran Gillen, who you should all remember as he wrote Origin 2, which we discussed in the last episode of Talk and Snicked, which was a sequel and continuation of Origin, which was the Wolverine origin story. So X-Men Origins Sabretooth, written by Kieran Gillen, art from Dan Panosian, Ian Hannon on inks, 
and no, excuse me, Ian Hannon on colors and Todd Klein on letters. And then the cover was art from Dan Panosian and colors from Maury Hollowell. Now this cover alone is pretty iconic for like young Sabretooth or origin time frame Sabretooth. He is standing in what appears to be a Wild West or at least a frontier type setting. He appears to be He's on the other side of like a, a fence, you know, it looks kind of like a horse corral of some sort. So maybe some sort of a ranch. He's shirtless. He's got just, you know, blue jeans on with a big cowboy belt. And he's leaning, leaning on the fence, like looking out towards us, you know, the reader. And he's just got this grin on his face and his, you know, clawed hands are crossed over on the fence and they're just casually dripping blood. So exactly how you would picture Sabretooth as a young man before he became Sabretooth. You know, he may not be like the Joker where he fell into a vat of chemicals and everything about him changed. No, this is the kind of character who is bad to the bone and has always been bad. And no, don't start singing the song. <laughs> That's not what I mean here. She's just bad. Bad for the sake of bad. Bad seed. So if you remember back to Origin 2 from last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. I think it was last week. Uh, if you think back to Origin 2, at the very end of the issue, we learn that Clara and Creed, who Logan had been hanging out with at this point, were the younger siblings of Victor Creed. We also learned that Victor Creed at one point had an older brother as well, and obviously a mother and a father. We learn at the very end of that series in issue 5, with Clara's telling Creed what happened to their brother Saul, we learn that Victor is sadistic. He killed their older brother, Luther. He killed their parents. And every year on Saul's birthday, he would just beat the living crap out of him. And one year, as an act of especially vile sadism, he gave Saul a choice. Either I beat the crap out of you for your birthday, or you pour some acid on Clara's face and you know, we'll see how well she can heal. So, of course, that's how her face became the way it was, because Saul decided to pour the acid on her face and skip a beating for himself. And when Victor learns that Saul is dead, he doesn't really seem to care. He's just like, oh, well, no one gets to kill Saul but me, kind of a deal. Not like, oh man, my brother, I love him so much, I'm going to miss him. I need revenge. No, it's more like, whoa, 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 whoa. Someone took my toy from me, that ain't gonna fly. And it's that Victor whose origin story this comic is. So we learn, it said, there's no time frame given, this could be anything, the house kind of makes it look like it's Victorian, the way they talk, the lack of furnishings in the house, the fact that the mom in one of these panels is using one of those old actual iron irons where you had to heat the iron up with something and then use it to iron the clothes because you know she couldn't just plug it in so at the very least this perhaps predates electricity or they were just so poor that they couldn't afford anything nicer although i don't i don't know when plug-in irons were created so who knows but it's a long time ago obviously we know that all the creeds can heal and considering the fact that Origin 2 took place in 1907 and Victor was a grown man at, at, by that point, or at least, you know, 
20, 21 years old. The, this is probably sometime in the 1870s or early 1880s. So it just starts that spring. It's this Victorian house. There's this blonde boy and a brown-haired boy sitting at this table. And the little blonde-haired boy just says, Just a bite, Luther. That's all I want. And the brown-haired boy is holding a piece of pie in his hand and teasing the blonde boy, saying, Ha, huh, I'm not going to give you any pie because it's my birthday and it's all mine. So the blonde boy tackles the little brown-haired boy to the floor right at the time where the mom is walking into the kitchen and she walks in and sees the little brown-haired boy is dead. His neck's been torn out or bit out or what and there's blood all over the floor and the little blonde boy who's eating the pie just says, "Ah, ma, we were only playing. So now we know Victor Creed did in fact kill his older brother Luther Creed over a bite of but it does look like it's cherry pie, so it was probably worth it. So he's locked in the basement. The next page says that fall. And we see a man, and he has some sort of pliers or a wrench of some sort, and he is pulling teeth out of this blonde child's mouth, and he says, You've the devil in you, boy. If I pull out enough one day, these Satan teeth ain't gonna come back. And, okay, alright, so 1880s then, I guess. The man pulls the teeth out and he goes back upstairs and the mother sits down and she just says, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, Victor, I can't help you. He's too strong. I'm scared. And the blonde kid just says, you know, don't be scared of him. Be scared of me. And that freaks the mom out. She just looks at him and runs back upstairs. And so now we know the next spring. So it's a year later. This little blonde Victor is still chained up in the basement. He's got his sharp teeth. Now he's got claws on his hands. You can see all these scratches on his wrists where he's like chained to the wall and he's been struggling against his chains. He finally breaks one free, but he's still not strong enough to pull the other one free. Although we do see that eventually he gets out of the cellar and crashes through the window in the kitchen. And we see that to escape the basement, he has chewed off his hand that was still stuck in the chains. So he chewed off his own hand, he's broken into his house where his parents live, and he's handless at this point, and he proceeds to kill his parents, and they just so happen to have had a fresh pie baked, and he's just sitting out on the porch eating the pie with his parents dead in the house, and he just runs off into the wilderness. That seems to be the end of that. Obviously, we know that he goes back and kind of takes over the family and, you know, terrorizes his younger brother and sister after that. But at this point in time, he just runs off into the wilderness and the story takes us to what says years later. And we see him walking down the street in what appears to be an old West town, although this is the late 1800s by now, but I don't think that every town by this point still had paved roads. A lot of towns probably still had dirt roads, although this does look pretty wild west, you know, the way that the people are dressed and then the fact that it's like all these wooden buildings and everything. It just, it makes me think of Tombstone, you know. We got, uh, I don't know, some giant man in fur and whatnot just walking down the street and like tombstone, right? It's these wooden buildings, there's a saloon, there's a barbershop, there's a casino or a place you can play cards. One of the signs actually says Sebastian Shaw's shoes, so that's interesting. Uh, but he's you know, walking down the street, some man kind of walks up to him, he's like, oh, Mr. Creed, uh, glad to see you're back in town. What can I do to, to help you? And 
Creed just gives him his jacket, sniffs the air, and he's like, hold this. And he walks into a saloon. And inside the saloon is a young man with black hair who looks very Logan-esque. Logan excuse me. And he's like in the middle of a bar fight. It looks like there was some gambling that went sour. And so Victor Creed just immediately jumps into the fight, starts beating the crap out of people, and eventually... Logan and Creed have won the day, and they're just standing at the bar enjoying a nice pint of sarsaparilla, I guess, because this makes me think of the Old West. And they're talking, and, you know, Logan's like, I didn't need your help. I could have beat all these guys myself. And Victor's like, well, yeah, but where's the fun in that? This is just playing, you know? Like, I'm just coming in here, throwing down, fighting some guys. It's a whole lot of fun. So Wolverine and... Sabretooth, or at this point, you know, Logan and Victor, or perhaps Logan and Creed, are just sitting in the saloon, you know, everyone's all knocked out, they're just, now they're doing shots, drinking their pints, uh, ales, I don't know, and uh, a Native American woman walks in, perhaps this is in Canada, so a First Nations woman walks in, and, you know, she's just like, Logan, this isn't gonna make it any easier, and Logan's like, ah, don't worry about it, I'm just, you know, we were just fighting stuff with, uh, with my pal here. And so, as they're walking out, Creed just says, you know, be careful. She's a real pretty one. She'll make you feel bad eventually. They always do. And, you know, Logan just kind of pays him no mind. And then we're taken to the scene. It says months later. And so now Wolverine, Logan, has walked into this saloon. It's in the wintertime. There's snow falling. And he's holding the dead body of his woman that he had left with. So we're just assuming at this point now that it's Silver Fox. And, you know, Creed's just sitting there drinking. He turns around and says, told you so. And happy birthday. So here's where the tradition starts. We actually get a couple of actually pretty good pages of, uh, of the fight scene outside. Again, there's, you know, saloons and barbershops and, and what have you. Maybe this is like a, a mining town. Maybe Logan, after the events of Origin 2, kind of finds himself heading back to the quarry where he worked with smitty and all that where he lived with rose and kind of took up in the town again and that's where Sabretooth tracked him down perhaps uh can't really be too sure at this point so then it says you know later many years later uh, now we get to see victor creed in the 50s perhaps very early 60s joining team x so we know that team x operated you know it was wolverine and Sabretooth and Silver Fox, and Maverick, and so many, so many others, John Wraith, and Aldo Faro, and lots of others. There's all kinds of fun issues that go into the past of Team X, but there's always a couple of themes that seem to stick with it, and one of them always seems to be something that sets them off is the fight between Wolverine and Sabretooth after Silver Fox is killed. So now we actually get to see Sabretooth joining Team X here. And as he joins, he's introduced to his new teammates, and who should he run into but his old pal, Logan, who immediately punches him in the face. A big fight breaks out between the two of them, and it seems after about a page and a half of little fighting, Sabretooth is pretty much declared... The victor. So a couple years, the, the next page actually starts two years and two mind wipes later. After a job, a successful job, wherever it was that they are, 
Logan and Creed are at a local watering hole just kicking back shots, and they're drinking to celebrate a job well done. And as they're celebrating, you know, having a grand old time, it looks like maybe they're in France or something like that, based on what they're drinking. Uh, Logan lets slip that it's his birthday. And Creed goes, your birthday, huh? We should celebrate properly. And then punches him in the face. Logan says, what the heck was that for? Creed replies, no idea, but doesn't it feel right? And then we get another page some years later in West Berlin, and it's the same thing, only this time Creed is celebrating alone when Logan comes in and confronts him. Because during this mission, they were supposed to be extracting someone, and instead Creed kills her. Her name was Janice Hollenbeck. So this is a callback to the pages of early X-Men, adjectiveless X-Men, where uh, Wolverine is being tracked down by Maverick to tell him that like Omega Red is still alive, and of course Sabretooth's part of that story, and we learn that pretty much what made Wolverine quit the team, what made Logan quit Team X, was Creed's behavior, and it was this particular moment. So Logan comes in, he's pissed off at Creed, and he starts a fight. And then, of course, it says five brutal minutes of extreme violence later. And Logan has, has given up. He doesn't want to fight Creed anymore. He says, I give up. Why? Why did you do it? And Creed just says, haven't you looked at the calendar? Yeah, happy birthday. Logan says, you know what? That's it. I'm done. You know, stay away from me. Stay out of my way. And Creed's like, yeah, okay. See you in 12, bub. In the, you know, bubs in quotes. So then it skips maybe 10 years later. Logan is by himself in some pub. It looks like it's just he and the bartender there. So he gives her a big stack of cash and he's like, look, I don't need you to be here. I'm expecting company. I'm going to need some privacy. So take this money and just walk away. Please get out of here. So Logan's sitting at the bar drinking alone where Creed walks in. He just says, evening, Logan. Logan says, evening, Creed. Creed sits down, they kind of have a little chat and all that, and Wolverine's like, we, you know, we have, to, we have to stop this, you know. I've been hiding from you every one of my birthdays. You always manage to track me down, so I, I'm hiding in plain sight here. I was hoping you'd find me. Why don't you give up? You know, why don't you stop being this way? Why don't you stop beating me up? And Creed's just like, come on, you like doing this. We do this every year on your birthday, and, uh, you know, you like it, and... Logan just says, no, you're wrong. You know, I'm, I'm walking away. I'm not going to fight you. And there's nothing that you can say that's going to get me to fight. And as Logan's walking out the door, he's in the doorway. And Creed just calls out, remember Silver Fox? And Wolverine kind of stops and makes a face like, what? Creed just says, thought not. I do. She was real good, wasn't she? And Creed pretty much just says, look, I kill all these women on your birthday because if I don't, you're eventually going to kill him anyway because, you know, it's in our blood. We're killers. And that's enough to start the fight. Wolverine pops his claws and he attacks Creed. And Creed just says, there you go, boy. Most natural thing in the world. This ain't fighting. This ain't even killing. This is just playing. And that's how the issue ends. So we kind of get like a little origin onto why it is that Creed beats Logan up, you know, why Creed tracks him down and fights Wolverine every year on his birthday. And it was just a, a sick tradition that he started to 
kind of take the place of when he used to fight or when he used to beat his brother. And, you know, he's been tracking Logan pretty much ever since and and just beating him up on his birthday and telling him, look, I'm just playing with you, you know, like, and you're playing back. You may lie to yourself. You may tell yourself you hate it, but you love fighting me just as much as I love fighting you. And we're just playing around two killers, not killing each other. So that was X-Men Origins Sabretooth. Fun issue, a little bit of insight into who the character was, and just some decent action. I'm not the biggest fan of the artwork, but it's effective here in this issue. So definitely check it out. I know that it's on Marvel Unlimited. I'm not sure if any of the X-Men Origins series was ever collected. Maybe the hero ones, but not the villains. There's a couple. There's like Jean Grey and Colossus and a couple others. Sabretooth, I think there was maybe there was a Mystique one, I think. I'm not 100% sure. I'd I know that I haven't read them all, so uh, definitely worth checking out, though, if you want some more insight into who and what Sabretooth is. And so that takes us into the last two issues that I wanted to discuss today. I wanted to talk about these ones because, as far as I can tell, this is chronologically the first fight between Wolverine and Sabretooth, although obviously not the first fight canonically. Uh, between the two of them, but I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the first time we ever got to see them fight in the pages of the comics. I'm, I'm racking my brain. I did a little bit of research, but I'll admit I didn't wasn't quite as thorough in my research as I would have liked to be, uh, but I'm pretty sure that this is the first fight. This is Uncanny X-Men 212 and 213. So this is right in the heart of a storyline that was going on in the pages of Thor, New Mutants, Power Pack, and X-Men called the Mutant Massacre, where a group of evil mutants called the Marauders invaded the Morlock tunnels and just started indiscriminately killing all the Morlocks that they came across. And in this fight, eventually we learn that Sabretooth is one of the Marauders that is here in these Morlock tunnels killing Morlocks until eventually he catches Wolverine's scent and starts a fight with him. So 212, written by Chris Claremont, Artwork from Rick Leonardi, inks from Dan Green, and colors from Glennis Oliver. Of course, Tom Orzachowski on letters, as I'm pretty sure that Tom Orzachowski has lettered every comic book that I have ever read in the history of all comics, and pretty much all comics that everyone has ever read in the history of comics. I don't know if there's ever been anyone as prolific a letterer as Tom Orzachowski. Maybe comic uh, comic crafts? Richard Starkings? I think I see his name all the time, too. So, who knows? Maybe he's my generation's Tom Orzachowski. But I don't think I've ever covered a Claremont X-Men where Orzachowski wasn't the letterer. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the cover of 212 before I jumped into the meat and potatoes of the actual Wolverine Sabretooth fight. It is just a cover. It's black with, like, splattered blood in the background and just a battered-looking Wolverine you know, with authentic battle damage, if you will, uh, just standing on the cover by himself. It says Wolverine versus Sabretooth, round one. I'm not going to go through all of the different pages with all the different stuff that's going on. Needless to say, the X-Men have jumped into the tunnels. They've fought off the Marauders pretty much at this point and are in the process of trying to rescue as many of the Morlocks as they can. There is a tunnel that goes from Xavier's mansion into the tunnels where they live, and so the X-Men have managed to spirit many of them away. They're back at the mansion. There's uh, Kitty took some damage. 
Nightcrawler took some damage, so all that's left of the X-Men right now is Storm, Colossus, Rogue, and Wolverine. Rogue, or excuse me, Colossus and Storm are back at the mansion, and I believe that Rogue is out there somewhere as well. No, Rogue is actually still back in the tunnels. At this point, a woman named Betsy Braddock, who we will come to know and love as Psylocke, is at the mansion as well, though she's not technically part of the team yet. So as the X-Men are trying to figure out What's going on? Wolverine is left in the tunnels by himself, tracking various scents, trying to find Morlock survivors. And while he's in the tunnels, he is ambushed. His his senses completely miss what's about to happen, and he is hit from behind, you know, and he's and he's knocked down. And then we don't really get to see what's going on for another few pages, but then what we see here is Someone off panel starting to taunt Wolverine like, I've had more trouble taking out rank amateurs. From a pro like you, Wolverine, I expect better. I don't know why I did that voice. Uh, That's not the voice I used for Sabretooth last time. Uh, But needless to say, it is Sabretooth. And he is right here about to kill the Morlock known as Healer right in front of Wolverine's eyes just, you know, to mess with him. So Rick Leonardi's artwork here is really awesome. I really like the Rick Leonardi era. I can't remember if he had like a set run or I think at this point, Paul Smith was doing like every other issue and maybe Rick Leonardi was doing the issues in between. I don't think that he had like a specific run from this issue to that issue. It was like fill in issues, but it was, it was a pretty prolific run nevertheless. And and I really like his artwork. I feel that he always seems to get overlooked because Claremont got to work with all these awesome artists like Dave Cockrum and then John Byrne and then Dave Cockrum again. And then later on, he worked with Mark Silvestri and eventually Jim Lee. And he got to work with John Romita Jr. And, you know, he got to work with Paul Smith, who was freaking fantastic. And I feel like Rick Leonardi as an artist gets overlooked here. Uh, but but his work is is pretty fantastic. I really like the way he draws Sabretooth's face. It's very expressive and it's very, uh, well, it's very unsettling, really. So Wolverine and Sabretooth start their fight. Uh, you know, there's Sabretooth calling Wolverine Bub, probably ironically at this point. And their fight begins. It's pretty vicious. You know, this we get uh, pretty much on all the fight scenes here. We're only getting about five panels per page. Rick Leonardi is really taking advantage of the fact that he can stack them vertically on top of one another. So we get these really cinematic widescreen panels uh, where we get to see Wolverine's whole body and Sabretooth's whole body and just see how hard they're hitting each other and how vicious these moves are and everything. And, you know, Wolverine doesn't really talk during this battle. It's all Sabretooth, you know, you're fast, I'm faster. You're strong, I'm stronger. You kill, I'm a killer. Your fancy claws can't cut what they can't hit and this and that, telling him his healing factor isn't going to save him. So we know that there's definitely bad blood between these two. And eventually Wolverine is able to trick Sabretooth into kind of diving towards Wolverine into this little area and Wolverine is able to hop over him and like cut the ceiling down so that the ceiling caves in and locks Sabretooth behind this wall. And Sabretooth grabs Healer who is a Morlock and who is, you know, barely hanging on and manages to, to run out of the tunnels. And that's how 212 ends. And then it takes us into 213 and 213. If 212 was good, 213 is even better. And there's 
an obvious reason why. So Uncanny X-Men 213, written by Chris Claremont, this time artwork from Alan Davis, inks from Paul Neary, colors from Glynis Oliver, and like I said, letters from Tom Orzachowski. Now, I always talk about my favorite X-Men artists, and, and names that always seem to get banding about are Cockrum and Byrne and Jim Lee, guys like that. My personal favorite is probably Joe Matarera. Uh, I understand that many people are either they really love Joe Mad or they very much don't, uh, but I'm in the former category. I very much love Joe Matarera, probably because he was the artist when I finally got to the point where I was collecting both Uncanny and X-Men monthly. Uh, so, And I think he was doing the artwork on both of them. Like Andy Kubert would come in sometimes on uncanny x-men or maybe it was no it was adjectiveless x-men uh but i think by the point where i really got into x-men and was really collecting regularly was when joe mad was doing the art and i liked it because it reminded me of the x-men cartoon i know that those costumes and all that were based on the 1991 redesigns from jim lee and everything but uh, to me, Joe Mad's artwork made it seem like I was reading the cartoon in a way that even the X-Men Adventures comics didn't. And those were based specifically to be comics of the cartoon. So I think that's that's probably why I love Joe Mad. And I think that Joe Mad has really refined his skills as he's gone on. I've only seen him get better as time goes by. Um, he's definitely refined his own style as well. He's He's much more recognizable even than he was back then. Uh, because of his his clear-cut style. So, I mean, obviously, I, I love Joe Matt, but Alan Davis is one that I feel gets overlooked too much as well. I mean, obviously, Alan Davis's biggest X-Men footprint was in the pages of Excalibur that he uh, did with Chris Claremont. Obviously, later on in the late 90s, right up to about the year 2000, he had done a run where he was writing and, and drawing on, I, I want to say it was at least Uncanny X-Men, if not both, right around the time of like Apocalypse the 12 and stuff. Uh, it was decent, but it wasn't the best. I mean, he really cemented himself as an amazing artist um, and, and and really good storyteller with X characters in the pages of Excalibur. And so I've always, I've always loved Alan Davis as well. And so going back after having really fallen in love with him as an artist in the pages of Excalibur and going back and seeing his work in the various X-Men issues that he did is fantastic. And, and I think this issue is, is because of that, is a little bit better even than last issue. And this issue is great. If 212 was Wolverine versus Sabretooth round one, then 213 is really Sabretooth versus the X-Men round one. Versus, you know, and not Wolverine versus Sabretooth round two. Although there is some of that as well. So this issue starts off with Psylocke. She's using Cerebro. She's trying to... Uh, help organize the X-Men that are still out and about trying to find Morlocks and everything. And while she's at the mansion, she gets ambushed. I, I, obviously, I'm skipping a lot of the story here because most of it that deals with the Morlocks and all that isn't really Sabretooth by itself. But one of the things that happens is Psylocke overexerts herself while using Cerebro. She is a telepath, but she's not trained nearly as much as Xavier, obviously, or at this point in time, uh, Jean Grey. Although I think this, maybe this was, I can't remember. No, this was, this was 1987. So this was right about the time that X-Factor 
had started. I think we were maybe 10 issues into X-Factor when Mutant Massacre started, something around there, 11. It was like issues 11 through 14 or something like that. So uh, Jean Grey had, had been resurrected by this point, or at least found still alive uh, by this point in canon. And so, you know, obviously Psylocke not as skilled in telepathy as Jean Grey now is. Uh, but still pretty good, although it's not enough to stop her from overexerting herself. And she kind of, not necessarily passes out, but but falls over, keels over from exhaustion. And while she's laying there, we're taken outside the X-Mansion. And we see rogues kind of on patrol looking around. And she walks by these bushes, and a hand comes out of the bushes, yanks her into the bushes, slams her into a tree, and then chucks her through a big rock, slashes her across the face, and knocks her out. And we see that it is... Sabretooth. Sabretooth has somehow found the X-Mansion and he's attacked Rogue. And then we're taken back to Psylocke, who is slowly recovering from her uh, overexertion when Sabretooth finds her and ambushes her as well. So the fight actually starts. This is a Psylocke who, who is not in peak physical shape. This is Psylocke pre-Ninja, so her her physical prowess as a fighter isn't quite what it, it will become in later years. And we also know that she's overexerted herself, and yet she still manages to give a strong enough side blast to uh, disorient Sabretooth enough for her to run out of Cerebro. And she's running through the mansion, and Sabretooth's chasing after her. She's being very playful. We get the, the typical super expressive Alan Davis faces here, which works very well on Psylocke. So she, she's being chased by Sabretooth. She runs up the stairs. She's running around the mansion. She runs into the gym. She chucks like a barbell at him. He's able to just snatch it out of the air and be like, well, you know, you're pretty strong, but like, you know, you're out of your league here. And he just like takes it and, and smashes it down, chucks it back at her. She dodges. It falls through the, or it crashes through the window, which she then falls out of. So she's on the roof. And she gets knocked down. This time she actually crashes through into uh, Storm's attic where she keeps all of her plants. Sabretooth jumps down in there. He's trying to fight her. And he's like, I like prey that fights, you know, saying all these typical macho things that you would say when you're toying with a woman victim who you think is, is much weaker than she actually is. In fact, Psylocke is, even though she's not the ninja yet or anything, and even though she's overexerted herself, she is still very capable. She is able to grab one of Storm's knives that she has, it looks like some sort of a tribal knife that she's able to grab off the wall, and she attacks Sabretooth, but he's able to grab hold of her and, and overpower her. And while he's talking to her, finally Wolverine shows up. And he's like, you know, you really want to you really want to be fighting women, Creed? Like, why don't you come fight a man, you know? And Sabretooth's like, all right, Runt, like, I'm, I was wondering when you'd show up. I'd love to fight you. And then as he's about to start his fight, he just gets smacked in the face. It says, whack! And Storm is there. And before Sabretooth can respond, Storm is able to get in another hit to, it looks like a pressure point, something under his, like, armpit. And then she's able to knock him down. And as she knocks Sabretooth down, her and Betsy are able to make a run for it, or at least get far enough away to give Wolverine and Sabretooth some time to fight. Sabretooth draws first blood in fight number two by slashing Wolverine right down the back. Sabretooth licks the blood because he's a freak, and he's like, uh, tasty runt, as always. 
And so the two of them go at it for a little while. Eventually, Sabretooth's able to grab Wolverine, throws him back up onto the roof through a different window. Storm and her poor plants are very upset about that. Uh, so they're on the roof, and Sabretooth and Wolverine kind of tackle each other, it seems, like right off of the roof into the swimming pool. And by this point, you know, Betsy is pissed. She didn't defeat Sabretooth like she wanted to. She's determined not to be weak. She's determined to prove herself to the X-Men, and she has recovered enough of her telepathic ability that she is able to then step in. And at first, she 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 appears and is staring them down, and she just kind of lets them fight. You know, she's looking at them and saying, you know, these two have so easily, so eagerly abandoned their humanity. Their rage is matched by a terrible, transcendent joy they so love what they do. And they're just viciously slashing at each other, hacking away. And then eventually, you know, enough is enough. Betsy reaches out with her mind and kind of disorients the two fighters. Eventually they get out of the pool area, fall over onto the grounds of the school, which overlooks a cliff here. And the two of them, like, topple over the cliff. And Rogue is able to save Wolverine and they say there's no trace of Sabretooth. And so that is how the fight ends. It's uh, somewhat anticlimactic, but it kind of reminds me of the end of the um, NES Wolverine game, where the final boss is Sabretooth, and you beat him by like knocking him off, <laughs> off the cliff after hitting him over and over and over, I think. Uh, and so that's that's the fight. You know, he gets He gets knocked off, Rogue saves Wolverine, and Wolverine responds by pretty much inviting Betsy to be an X-Man, saying, like, hey, you wanted to be on the team, and you earned your way on the team as far as I'm concerned. Like, you performed with a plum here, and we're all better for having you on the team. So it's a happy ending, even though it was a very brutal fight. And I like it. It's one of my favorites. You know, it's the X-Men have a lot of really great villains that can go toe-to-toe with the entire team, but none of them are as terrifying or as vicious as... Sabretooth, you know, when like when Juggernaut fights him, you don't necessarily think Juggernaut's going to kill anybody. But Sabretooth, whenever he fights the X-Men, whenever he squares off against the team, you're always concerned that someone is going to end up dead. Although I can't think of any specific instances where he's actually killed any members of the team. He just seems to kill women that are in Wolverine's life or, you know, other other people to try to get to Wolverine and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I can't remember him actually killing any X-Men. Although he's he's attacked some X-Men pretty viciously. I'm thinking poor X-Men whenever they fight Sabretooth. So Bubs, that is it. That is going to cover our first Sabretooth episode. I have plans for at the very minimum three episodes this month to come out bi-weekly. I'm hoping that I can move around enough stuff in my schedule to be able to bring you five different Sabretooth episodes this month. And if I am, I'm looking to do alternate Sabretooth next week. I know that's pretty ambitious. We only just started diving into who Sabretooth is, and I already want to introduce an alternate Sabretooth. You're thinking, but Ryan, it took you like five months to get to alternate Wolverines. Yeah, I know. But really, when it comes to alternate Sabretooths, there's really only one that's even worth talking about. And even though there's very much content to discuss, there's really only one story that actually matters. So if if we're lucky, bubs, I will get to Age of Apocalypse Sabretooth next week, and if not, then we will jump back in and just look at more of our wonderful 
Vicious 616 Sabretooth and look at some more of his best fights against Wolverine in two weeks' time. Now, Bubs, one thing, if you follow me on Twitter, that I promised was we're going to do our very first Talkin' Snicked giveaway this month for Sabretooth Month. So if you, unfortunately, for those of you who live internationally, there's not really much I can do for you this time around. Uh, but if you live in the continental United States, possibly Alaska, Hawaii, and I think Canada, uh, then you are eligible to win a Sabretooth Dwarbs. So if you're a fan of Funko, if you like collectibles, then I am doing my very first Talk and Snicked giveaway, and I will be giving away the uh, Dorbs X-Men Sabretooth. So how do you enter in this contest? How do you win this giveaway? It's really rather simple. Bubs, I'm looking to grow the show without having to ask people for any kind of money or anything like that. I had a Patreon once before, and it worked out really well. Uh, but, you know, I always just feel guilty taking money. You know, I'm kind of doing this as a hobby, and though the funds really do help keep the show afloat, uh, I can get by without it, and I'm going to continue to try to do that as much as I can. But there is still something that you all can do to help promote the show, and that is jump onto Apple Podcasts or iTunes if you still use it, and give the show a review. Unfortunately, I don't think you can leave a review in Stitcher or Spotify or any of the other apps that you use. Um, I think Google Podcasts has reviews, but I'm unable at this point to access my account to see if I'm left with any reviews. So at this point, if you want to enter the contest and win the Sabretooth Dorbs, or at least have a chance to win the Sabretooth Dorbs, I should say, then all you have to do is leave a review. Rate and review the show. Anything from a one-star to a five-star review is good enough to get you entered. I'm accepting one-star reviews because if I suck, if this show is terrible and you think it can improve, let me know how. Uh, if you love the show, then great. Five stars is going to go a long way to help the show grow. So make sure that you follow me at RyanTalksNerdy on Twitter or keep up with me via email, TalkSnicked at gmail.com. This is going to run through the end of the month. Our very final month uh, episode of this month will come out on Wednesday, July 31st. And then the first week of August, I will announce who the winner is on Twitter. And then, of course, you can get in touch with me through a direct message. Get me your shipping info, and I will try to get this shipped out to you as soon as I can. So again, anyone who goes on from now until the end of the month and leaves a review on Apple Podcasts, anything from one to five stars is good enough for an entry, then you have a chance to win the Sabretooth Dorbs. Now, I have a handful of reviews on there already, so if you are one of the wonderful people who has already left a review, you've already been added to the list, you've already been entered in. So... Stay tuned. Let's get the word out, bubs, this month for Sabretooth Month. Let's make it a great month, and one of you will win that Sabretooth Dorbs. For my international listeners, I'm so sorry, but unfortunately, as the shipping is coming out of pocket, I just cannot afford to ship internationally at this point. Hopefully, at some point down the line, I can get 
something, have some sort of giveaway for all of you wonderful people who listen to the show overseas. So Bubs, if you like the music in the show, then make sure you check out Retcon X. He is a musician who creates music that was inspired by the X-Men. Give him a follow on Twitter. Check out his Spotify playlist or his website. I've got links to those in the show notes. And that will be it for today. Until next time, Bubs. (laughs) 